Music Business What Is This is a podcast that focuses on the ever-changing music industry and presents issues and concerns that the average and above average musician has or will encounter. Hey everybody, my name is Jeremiah Hunt. This is Music Business What Is This? And today we have a special guest, Mr. G. Thomas Allen. What's up, Thomas? How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good. I, I like how you said G and you put that stop there. G. Thomas Allen. I'm good. I'm good. Good. Had good spacing and everything yeah, for yeah, the vocals. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm good. Thanks for asking. All right. Well, uh, let's get right into it then. So you are a vocal. Well, a lot of people in the music world know you as a vocal pedagogue. Mm-hmm. So that means you are in vocal pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what is vocal pedagogy and how does it affect uh, singers in the music world? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, thank you again for having me. Um, I like to consider myself more or less of a vocal practitioner. Mm. Uh, pedagogy itself is just the, the art form of teaching. And so you'll see that pretty much in any discipline. Mm. Um, my focus, obviously, is is uh, the voice. And so I, I tend to lean more into commercial methodologies around best practices around singing. It's not necessarily specific to genre or style. Um, it's more or less the an- anatomy and some of the neuromuscular aspects of what's happening when you phonate. But right. that seems, that's, that's too science-oriented. I don't want to start with that. Because <laughs> it is a science. <laughs> Everything's a science. Yeah. yeah. So when um, you just got a master's degree in vocal pedagogy. Yeah, this is my... Uh, which degree I have to count um, I've, I'm a school guy <laughs> but I do have a master's in vocal pedagogy uh, from Carthage College and uh, I just completed that uh, this past May mm. past May took took yeah, it was a fast track because of sort of already having the advanced degree so it sort of went really really quickly and it was just you know really really based on on, on the science of things nice Nice, the science of the voice. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about you moving to Chicago. Ah, shout out. <laughs> when did you move to Chicago? And uh, why did you originally move to Chicago? Because yeah, I know it wasn't for music. No, it wasn't, surprisingly. Listen, I always tell folks, you have to find a way to uh, fuel your passion if you... You know, don't come from the from the 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 riches of the rich, and uh, I think I've done a good job in sort of having a dual career in sort of higher education, academia, and performing. And uh, you know, some years it's more or less, but I've sort of always did this juggle, this fifty fifty thing, and I've enjoyed it because it's given me, like I said, the fuel ching ching. Uh, to, to get out and, and sort of spread the music thing. But I moved here specifically for um, really a real estate position and, and not like a real estate agent, but um, in campus housing in academia, not to give you a long story in it, but there's this aspect of on campus and off campus housing. And uh, years ago when I was at Morgan, I was an RA. Mm. Yeah, I was on a full scholarship, but I needed to figure out how in the world am I going to pay for this housing? 
<laughs> and they were like, hey, if you're an RA, we'll pay your housing and we'll give you a little stipend. And I'm like, oh, I'm sold. Yeah. I'm sold. Uh, so that's where it started. The interest started. I didn't realize years later I would sort of stay in it um, and sort of move up the ranks uh, administratively. And uh, so I initially came to Chicago to run an off-campus sort of housing asset um, downtown Chicago in the South Loop. And uh, we partnered with several schools, DePaul, Roosevelt, and primarily Columbia College. They had the bulk. But a lot of people like, what? You know, but that's why I came. But I was also very strategic because I knew coming to Chicago, I would be exposed and sort of be able to still dibble and dabble in classical, jazz, opera, everything. I knew Chicago was a one-stop shop. So again, I used that to be the fuel, the ching-ching for the passion. Um, and eight years later, um, I could definitely say it was a smart move. Mm, a man with many hats. And <laughs> Chicago <laughs> is definitely a great place to explore yeah. all of those avenues. So um, props to you. Um, so what has the transition from, in, in that business world, mm. because this, podcast is about music business so mm -hmm. as far as uh business wise what has the transition been from going to you know student housing acquisitions and all of uh, mm -hmm. real estate mm -hmm. to performing and hmm. doing business as a performer well we used to say heads on bed uh beds in the in the campus uh, housing side and all the folks who may be into that will get that that reference but it's really a numbers game um, and, and understanding how to increase the visibility because when you're off campus, you don't necessarily have that direct uh, affiliation with some of the schools, even though I've been lucky to sort of have those. Um, but it's a numbers thing, you know, and I think that translates very well to music. As you know, uh, we're all about how many followers do you have? How many streams, you know, um, on Spotify? And, right. You know, does that translate to ticket sales? And are you bringing bodies into the seat, you know? Yeah. And so I think both, and I think we probably see this in every industry but uh the biggest thing is is really the numbers you know the numbers aspect of what's going to draw the people mm. and i think we as singers we have to think about that from the business side i mean if you have a big name sometimes obviously people just come but what did you do to get to that point you know did you win a competition or you know were you featured on a grammy nominated album all that you know sort of thing will sort of help you bring in the pool but yeah i mean that drive, that numbers drive is what I think I took and brought over to the music side. And speaking of competitions, uh, you actually won the one of the prestigious awards of America, the uh, Sarah Vaughan International Jazz Vocal Competition. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> A.K.A. the Sassy Award. Oh, Sassy. You know, people calling me Sassy. Y'all stop doing that. I'm offended by that. I'm not Sassy. I'm assertive, but I'm not Sassy. No, we love Sassy. Absolutely. So uh, talk a little bit of just about that competition and the experience of it. And how did you get into just yeah. like what was the interest behind doing it um it was the definitely the music business mindset i put out an album in 2020 mm. in the middle of the pandemic and which i am on by the way yes you are <laughs> and killing on track two you and me sorry that was a plug um 
See, I forgot my question. The older you get, you <laughs> say it one more time. You're not old. <laughs> You're only 55. Oh, gosh, please. You know, in May, I'll be 40. But I digress. Let's go back. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to know a little bit about Oh, your okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the music business piece. So I put on an album in 2020. And in the middle of the pandemic, I was really skeptical because I'm like, you know, folks are home. You know, there's a lot of anxiety. But I, I realized that music was a comfort to me. And so I said, you know, you know, we talked about this. Let's put it out. Yeah. Um, and it charted, you know, it did number one on, on the iTunes jazz charts for whatever that means. You know, when you're in the business, you're like, what does that really, really mean? Right. I mean, right. um, in comparison to everything at large. But I took that as, okay, folks are at least listening. That was my takeaway. Mm. Um, And then the Sarah Vaughn thing was in 2021 uh, when I won as the first male um, to win the competition. But I went in sort of with this idea of how do I get in the right spaces so people can sort of hear what I do. Mm. Um, And coming from the classical world, the competition market is huge, Mm. you know. And so... I began to think, you know, how can I sort of accelerate my career? Because I started in classical voice. Um, and then I sort of, you know, sort of transitioned to jazz when I moved to Chicago. I you know, sort of made it more of my focus point. Well, we met, of course, which is a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so I, I ended up... Um, submitting my you know materials with with the hopes that hey they'll at least hear my music and i'm also a countertenor so those who aren't familiar with that typically that vocal category is associated with classical music and i said you know i don't know if there are too many countertenors in jazz right and so i started to research it and i saw some work from philip bailey um i you know went to some archives of like bobby mcferrin and so forth um but they weren't actually countertenors meaning they hadn't sort of studied the rap of that and did it you know mm. so it was it was a gamble so if, if anything i knew folks would at least hear my music because yeah. with the submission that year you could do standards and original it mm-hmm. wasn't just i think i don't know they may have changed that um so yeah i ended up um submitting that and just i didn't think i would get it and then all of a sudden i got that email hey you've made the top five you know i think uh i called my cousin who I'm sure you know, the one and only Richard D. Johnson. Oh, yeah. The (laughs) co-host of this show. (laughs) One of the baddest men on the planet. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, in our family... Um, he's always sort of carried the jazz hat and I was sort of the the opera buff guy and we sort of you know very rare that we cross paths but we have which is a whole nother story too uh, in the jazz space but um, yeah that's what it was I ended up trying to figure out where do I fit in the grand grander scheme of it mm. and I knew some of the luminaries that would the judges like I didn't know them but I knew they would be the judge you know the adjudicators mm-hmm. uh, like Sheila Jordan and uh, Jasmine Horn my girl shout out to, to Jasmine uh, I think it was John Pizzarelli and um, maybe one more but it's it's slipping me so it was more or less the exposure so made the top five you know they you know take the top five all over the world and I just was excited just to do it you know so anyway my interest was it came from a business mindset of how do you strategically place yourself in the right setting so you can expand and enlarge your your territory and at that time I didn't have a manager or an agent that was sort of versed in jazz and so I took it upon myself and figured it out 
I think it came like in a feed from like a Facebook ad or something. And I was like, Sarah, look at me. What? You know, I was like, oh, I can, you know, that's, I got that, you know. But, um, and then I was nervous because then I was like, okay, no, wait a minute. I, I, you know, this is sort of the top of the top, you know, top of the line in terms of, um, coming and knowing your stuff and your chops but thank god for those seven years in the jam sessions before the pandemic oh here in gosh. Chicago because yeah. I, I really think that is what gave me like the the umption the gumption you know to uh-huh. just say you know just just do what you always do yeah I was gonna say like um, coming from a classical background, mm-hmm. I mean, that just speaks to the ambitious nature of where you come from and, you know, you and your family and mm-hmm. everything. And you said you were a countertenor, too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. coming from that classical background and to just move to Chicago and just one of the first things you do as a jazz artist is audition for this prestigious, you know, mm-hmm. competition mm-hmm. and then to go and win it. You know what I mean? To go and win it. It just speaks to like how ambitious and, you know, great, you know, talented you are. So, um, and that gets me to another thing that I wanted to ask. You did mention that you were a countertenor. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about that and how did that role, how could that role have affected people's ears as far as the judges or just the people listening in the competition and just how you perform in general? Oh, okay. Well, as I mentioned, so the countertenor is a vocal category. It's not a part of the, we call it the German Fach, but um, it's basically a cisgender male who sings in the treble clef. You know, mm-hmm. it's the top top tier uh, register. And um, I got into it um, really during my undergraduate work at Morgan State uh, University. Um, at the time, they didn't necessarily, they, there was jazz, but it wasn't jazz voice, you know you would have to be an instrumentalist. And so I was sort of forced to go into classical because that was sort of the only option mm. um, for the foundation aspect of it. And now when I look back, I mean, I, I don't, um, I don't regret it. I think I learned a lot, um, you know, even learning like figured bass or the minimalismatic phrasing that sort of translates to sort of the bebop language. Um, and so it was easier for me to, to sort of make the change. Mm. Um, but I, um, it just felt natural to me, you know, and my references, again, I mentioned earlier, Smokey, like, I don't think I said Smokey, I think I said Philip Bailey, uh, mm-hmm. Bobby McFerrin, and Smokey Robinson, like, the list goes on. I wouldn't necessarily call them countertenors, I would say, it, they're more or less uh, falsettalist, mm-hmm. and and the difference is they're sort of using um, more of a head tone, Mm. Uh, where the vocal folds is less um, adduction at the level of the vocal folds. For those who are into that, um, <laughs> you may have to Google a little AI. You know, everybody can just AI it now. Um, so anyway, mine's a little bit different. It's, it's more of a natural. It's, it's more connected to my modal voice, which is my chest speech level. It's just an extension of it. And um, so it just felt natural to me. I didn't know what that was. You know, I kind of came to school and they were like, oh, you can do this rap, so we're going to make you, you're going to be a countertenor. Mm. And I didn't turn back the hands of time. So I don't necessarily lead with that in the jazz space. I think when Downbeat put out an article when I won, um, they used the terminology, um, 
I think falsetto, like what an impressive falsetto. The judges were captivate, captivated by right. the falsetto range. So even in that space, they used the term falsetto instead right. of countertenor. So to your question, I think folks were just shocked because they had never sort of heard it in that capacity. You know, because mm-hmm. most males may sing in their chest voice and then they may flip and do the octave. But I, you know, sometimes I don't make the switch. I just stay in one particular registration so i think it was very new to the audience and the judges and and they liked it luckily i i knew they would either like it or hate it in fact i think they quoted that in downbeat because yeah. <laughs> that's really was my take i was like they're either gonna love it or hate it but you know yeah. i i went with um i think you know we opened up with good morning heartache mm. and as soon as i heard the audience give me a a church mm, <laughs> um i knew okay well, I at least got their attention, you know. Mm-hmm. And from that point, I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and from that, yes, you were there. From that point, I, I just told the story. You know, it was my life story. It was really was the first time I felt seen. I think as an uh, individual artist, um, because I a lot of my success had come through collaborations, or whether it was collegiate or with other groups, other bands, you know, sideman work, which is, you know, great. You love that. But it's, it's something where you kind of showcase as yourself and, uh, and become, you know, well-received. And so, and I've been sort of focusing on it ever since. I still do classical, gospel, and jazz, but um, my focus has been jazz just, you know, the last maybe eight years. Mm, which mm. brings us to the next point. You have your own band now. I do. I G. Do. Thomas Allen Quintet. Or yes. Quartet. Or, or whatever. whatever they can afford. Let's put that out there. <laughs> That's a whole nother conversation, too. Go on. Talk a little <laughs> bit. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about how, uh, what got you to start this band? Was it the competition that sort of launched you out to say, maybe I should keep doing this? Or, like, uh, well, we really started the band in 2020 when the album came out. Yes. We won a competition after that. Right. And so I sort of had these songs in mind that I wanted to put in paper, and I didn't know really which category to put it under. Because um, my first album is a little bit more post-pop. It's more contemporary. The sophomore project is a little bit more straight ahead, just to give the purist, you know, a little honey, um, just so they can see sort of the range of sort of what I do. Um but yeah, did I answer the question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that album that we did in 2020. So that's where the yeah, band yes. really started, you know, put, putting together the pieces. And I was just so lucky that all my friends, you know, were pretty much musicians. And, you know, we connected even at um, Andy's Jazz Club, right? Yep. And uh, that's where it all started. That's where it started. And really... The rest is history, you know. From that, I connected with everybody and, and just kept getting connected with different folks like Bobby Broom and Perez. Where they, you know, they were hosting the jam sessions. I was coming as like a corporate guy who was just tired, needed a drink, <laughs> and heading to the airport to do a Messiah, you know, or right. for one day and make enough money to pay my mortgage and rent for two days for two months. Right. I, I definitely did not think that I would be in the fold. And now, uh, struggling artist as everyone else. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, if you got any more, anything else to say to the audience, uh, where can people find your music? Uh, what what are your plans for the next upcoming months? Years? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, again, thank you for having me. I mean, G. Thomas Allen 
music.com is pretty much the central hub where folks can find all the social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and so forth. And um, I moved into sort of education well, I've always been in higher education, but more the professorship side, really, the last six years. And so mm. I now serve on the voice faculty at Howard. So, hey, you. Nice. Although, although I'm that. a Morgan man, so I had to put that in there for all my Morgan <laughs> folks. Like, what? He repping Howard, you know? Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I'm there They'll now. Get over it. Yeah, the jazz studies um, area, and I direct their uh, HE jazz singers. And uh, it's been fun. So, gig wise, I mean, I have a lot of stuff coming up for Christmas. Uh, some solo stuff, not necessarily all with the band. Uh, next year is really packed. I'll be at the Gen Conference in January in New Orleans mm. um, with Cyrus Chestnut on lead. They're doing um, just a section for the sort of jazz Howard faculty folks. Uh, February, I'll be back at the Jazz Showcase here in Chicago. Mm. I think the week of eighth through the you know that whatever that weekend March we're at the Green Mill. April, where Disney's in New York. So, yeah, G Thomas Allen Music dot com if you want to follow where we'll be next and we're finishing a project you know yeah. my sophomore album will be entitled reimagined dream, dream. and um I'm, I'm looking forward to to putting that out beautiful well there it is you heard it first from here um g thomas allen the vocal pedagogue <laughs> some days <laughs> Well, cool. That's all we have for you today, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jeremiah Hunt. And I'm G. Thomas Allen. This is Music Business. What is this? We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.